0: Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mahoning Drive In Theater, the largest single screen drive in in the United States. We're certainly glad you could be with us this evening. And don't forget, the concession stand is open with all kinds of great things to eat and drink. 89.3
1: Mahoning Drive In Radio, your old friend Virgil back once again for another exciting episode of the podcast. As you guys all know, the only podcast dedicated to the revival of our beloved drive-in culture. And today we got all three hosts with us. We got Mark, general manager extraordinaire. Say hi, Mark. Hi, I'm extraordinaire. And of course we have the main man, the king of the drive-in, uh, Jeff in the house. Say hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. And uh, we had <laughs> a very fun, well, it's, why don't we say kind of, we'll, we'll time stamp it. We're in the off season now. Uh, we just started announcing a couple of shows, and people are getting incredibly excited, but we're certainly feeling it now as far as getting closer. Where are we at right now, Jeff? We three down, what, what, two left? What, where are we at?
0: We're almost four down, two left. Four down. In about in about another two weeks. It'll be four down and two to go. I'll
1: tell you, it's coming. And uh, we, yep. we got a lot of stuff stirring in the pot We always say it, if you guys wanna follow us along, this is a great place to get the dish, Uh, but the social media is we're just gonna start blasting these events out pretty much every other day. So very excited about that, but also excited because uh, Jeff just had a recent acquisition and uh, we're blessed sometimes that uh, these collections will come out of the woodwork and kind of find us. Why don't you tell us the circumstances of your recent acquisition, Jeff?
0: Well, I think you and Mark know most of the story. We got a, uh, just like we often do, we got an email from uh, one of our fans, so to speak, and said that her mother's father had passed away. Right. And she, this girl's name was Jessica. Her mother's name was Lisa. Lisa's dad passed away. Jessica put me in touch with her mother and her mother said that her dad used to be a projectionist. I, I didn't get any details yet, like where or anything, but he had been collecting films for years. Right. And he had his own basement screening room. He had a <laughs> 35 millimeter projector set up and then he threw it you know, across the basement to his screen. Yeah. And he had theater seats bolted into the floor. Um, he had his own green. little screening room. Yeah, Which he had his cool. own little screening room. So he collected all these 35 and 16 millimeter films, but he passed away last August while we were like in the middle of our season. He passed away and she was sitting on this stuff for months and didn't know what to do with it. So I guess from her daughter, Jessica, she found out who we were and said, well, you know, Jessica, you know, email these guys, tell them we've got all this film. We don't know what to do with it. It's heavy. You know, we took a couple prints out of the house and then decided we weren't going to move the rest of it because it was too much. Right. So I got in touch. Jessica got in touch with us. I got in touch with her mother, Lisa, and they invited me up to see this collection. So I went up uh, last Sunday, went up last Sunday. And it's way up north. It's uh, in Glen Lyon, Pennsylvania. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's in that region, uh, Glen Lyon. So I went up there. And everything was ice up there because they got hit hard up there. Not like we did. They got hit hard. Everything was ice. I had to use an ice chopper in order to get into the house uh, because the house (laughs) is on a hill. And if you just tried to let you just slide down the hill, you couldn't, couldn't get into the house. So we had to use an ice chopper to get up the hill into the house. And let me tell you, the place, the basement was full of 35 millimeter film and 16 millimeter and projectors. Stuff all over the place. And as soon as I saw him, I knew this guy took care of his equipment because not only did the projectors look in great condition, but uh, the films all had the paper bands on them from the studios. Wow. And I was looking at some of the titles and I started writing them down because uh, I just wanted to have an idea of what we were getting. But there are, uh, I won't say any titles because I don't want to ruin it for the folks when we run them. But uh, there were 31 different prints that i could see there were 31 different ones and i wrote all those down and i negotiated for them and they didn't want that much for the whole lot so i just bought everything i just just bought the whole thing so (laughs) we've got at least 31 new prints to add to our collection so i'd say we're yeah so we got to be up to like 40 a little over 40 now maybe with
1: everything. It really Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're probably topping at 50. The back room, you know, is 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 pretty much filled with a lot of the 35 millimeter and now the vault the vault is being born. I don't know if we've <laughs>
2: talked about that collection either. The, the what I always refer to as our grindhouse prints. I don't know if on the podcast, Jeff, you've discussed those and how we got them and what the history of those prints were. This is what we usually usually use to fill out our patreon simply that out. was a, a fun only
1: trip and i think actually al al shot when i went down to actually jeff made the deal but when i went down to pick them up i think al shot footage of that trip because there's some of it was used in the the documentary but i remember we well i guess we'll uh why don't we say something like this happening it almost takes our love and preservation of 35 millimeter and what we stand for it takes it to the next level like in a weird way jeff went and and climbed a mountain literally of ice <laughs> yeah to, all uh, i can think is the price is stay- right you know the
2: mountain climber game and the price is right where he has that <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you weren't
2: yodeling on the way up were you
0: <laughs> no <laughs> yeah
2: instead of falling off the end you just slip and slide all the way back down the hill
1: yeah, that's about it. That's about yeah. it. And right. and that that feeling is certainly what it felt like when we acquired that first batch of prints, which if we go back and I was filming it, it would have been 2016. <laughs> it would have been 2016 or 17, which is crazy. But yeah, Jeff, why don't you tell them the, uh, the circumstances with that one? And then I'll get into kind of the trip. Circumstances behind that one was that uh,
0: this girl contacted us. I believe she sent us an email. And said that she liked to uh, go around and show like movies in the park, uh, you know things like that. She had portable projectors, but she had films that she never used because she wasn't really into horror films. Yeah,
2: I was going to say those are not movies you show in the park.
0: (laughs) That's true, but she—that's why she said, well, she didn't use them because she had gotten them, and I'll get to that in a second where she got them from. But she had gotten a hold of them. And after she ran a few, she realized she really couldn't use them for what she was doing. So she contacted us and asked me if I wanted them. And I said, well, how many were there? And she told me at the time, I forget now, I guess there's about eight different ones, maybe 10, something like that. Yeah. And she said they should all be in good shape. She said, I, did, I didn't play most of them, she said, but I got them from, you know, another projectionist and they've just been sitting here. So I would, uh, so I negotiated. I said, okay, well, what do you want for them? And we batted that back and forth a couple of times. And I said, okay, I said, I'll take them. So um, here I find out later on, and Virgil can tell you about the trip down to get them because uh, he went for them. But here I find out that she got them from a guy named Mike. And I said, you don't mean Mike Danchek by any chance, do you? And she said, yeah. She said, do you know him? I said, yes. I said, he had to drive in before I had it. And I was his projectionist and manager, and he owns the Angela Theater in Coldale. And she said, "Well, that's where I got them from. They were stored."
1: (laughs) (laughs) What a small world, you know? Yeah, exactly. The fact that that they probably these friends probably lived at the Mahoning at one point.
0: (laughs) They could have been there at one point, but they were all up at the Angela, and she bought them from Mike because he didn't want them and i don't know if she didn't realize they were horror or what but then she couldn't use them so we wound up with them yeah so you you can tell them about the trip down to get them and just let me say we're still going through them my assistant projectionist robert was supposed to take them all home over the winter and see which ones were still runnable because we know at least one of them is not yeah but so far we've had some pretty good luck i think all the rest that these checked out are runnable so if only one of them turns out no good, then that was a pretty good deal. But he should be all through them by now, I would think. And we'll find out which ones
1: we can use. But uh, tell him about the chip version. Oh, yeah. And for the entertainment value we've gotten out of the alone, it was certainly worth it. Uh, right. uh, well, definitely when this all came about, like I said, 2016-17, Al was pro- it probably was 17. He was doing pickup shots for the documentary, finishing things up. And from what I remember, the prints were down in Philly and yeah. we had to go down yeah. in the Philadelphia area. Yeah. And uh, we made the trip and it was great. We, we chatted the whole way down and some of that footage made its way into the documentary. We talked about what's so special about the Mahoning and, you know, why people love to have their film screened at the Mahoning and blah, blah, blah. But as we start heading deeper into the city and, you know, remind you, I used to do some delivery jobs, things like that. Uh, have been all over the place. I'm just not a city guy. Uh, So it takes us a little while to find the parking and uh, get situated on the one-way streets and blah, blah, blah. And uh, finally, we pull up to what looks like an abandoned kind of brick building. And I'm like, there's no way this could be it, you know, fenced off outside brick building. And I call the number that Jeff gave me. And, you know, a woman picks up. It's like, I'll be there in a little bit. And I'm expecting her to come down from the building you know and uh she comes surprisingly she comes from behind me (laughs) behind (laughs) us and you know uh, i remember al talking to her and saying you know are you okay with us you know shooting going into this building and she was so you know do whatever you want to let's get this film out of here (laughs) yeah but i i remember i brought one hand truck with me because at the time i was working at the vineyard and I had the hand truck and I thought I'll be fine anybody who knows film cans uh, these things they don't stack easily in any way there's no way to physically stack them easily so we make our way down into again a building that is turns out is abandoned and uh, make our way down to the basement and it's getting damper and damper as we go down I'm like oh what are these prints gonna look like and you got you remember Jeff and you've seen the mark the cans when I finally laid eyes on them the cans were rusty, beaten up oh, yeah. it was like and I was like, oh my goodness but I remember I cracked one open and it did. It had the, the a little bit of that vinegar smell. It looks like they had been down there and that place just possibly got water. yeah, but I was like, all right, let's do this and it was fun because Al was there and you know we got to kind of take him through. And the audience, I guess, through the uh, the process of a rescue, which we kept talking about, the idea of that w- what we're finding might be the only existing print of something. Yeah. But unless we take that step to, you know, GPS it an hour and twenty minutes out of the way into an unknown location, into an abandoned building's <laughs> <laughs> basement, which you know sounds like the beginning of a horror movie we'd play. But if you're not willing to do that, that's that's how these these prints get lost and, you know, end up going in a dumpster somewhere and getting crushed. But yes, the haul out, Al, poor Al, of course, he came down to uh, <laughs> to film the documentary. And, uh, you know, after three or four tries of trying to haul out what was probably 20 cans, 25 yeah. cans of film. All the way upstairs, you know, out out to the uh, city parking, into the van, it was an endeavor. And my man, he stepped up, he helped us out. <laughs> and the poor woman helped us out as well. She felt bad, I think. After a while, she's like, "Oh no, he's got he's got this hand truck and thinks he's going to take all of these." Things. Yeah. But it ended up being a gold mine, like we said, and and talking to Harry about that collection as well. It seems like they all came from the same era, kind of the, the grindhouse circuit of prints. Yeah. And for the Mahoning, I mean, that's exactly the type of stuff that we want, even though we can play whatever we want at this point. There's different means for us to tap different audiences, but that's our bread and butter. So for us to have a couple of these key titles literally in the vault in the back room vault it's a beautiful thing but that's yeah, a great yeah. memory and i wonder if al i wonder if any of that's on the 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 disc the dvd
2: special features i don't thing. think any of that's on the special features
1: no well i guess we'll have to wait for the the 10th or 20th anniversary the, the
2: redux where he <laughs> it an hour longer.
1: Yeah, the remake
2: <laughs> yeah but yeah that was a lot of fun we have lunch with these french people up river and we pick up a lot of film
1: cans
2: (laughs) what's interesting about the the hall this most recent haul from this person's house is that the films are not for the most part horror and cult titles they're much more mainstream genres of decades past they're much older titles than we have
1: so yeah you could tell they were probably films he loved you know oh yeah
2: he he clearly okay. was into like westerns and old uh, action movies reason. and adventure films. So it's it's the kind of thing we don't play a lot of. It, it's it very likely these might the studios may not have copies of a lot of these films because them are pretty obscure. But I think we're, we'll find a way to make use of them. Be they secret Patreon screenings or free community nights or something like that. And there's a couple titles in there that are like stone cold classics. That when Jeff read the list, both Virgil and I gasped or <laughs> or yelled. <Yeah>. At <laughs> And what I'm thinking
0: is if uh, some of these prints, you know, we might be able to help our drive in a little bit by loaning some of these out to others for a fee, of course. But yeah. uh I mean that's the great thing, it's a circuit. Oh yeah, exactly. It, it it works both ways. Yeah, we we, you know, we have to loan prints from people too and pay for them, so it works both ways. But what I forgot to mention is there's also a couple reels full of cartoons. Oh, uh, Yep couple 35 millimeter reels of cartoons a couple of news reels, 35 millimeter news reels from the past uh, there's some trailers
1: don't know i didn't see those they're in the but they had some of the stuff boxed up already i saw the photo that they sent over of the and it, he you could tell the guy clearly was a lover of film he had the rack <laughs> set up he had yep. you know the whole setup so i remember peeking at a couple of the uh the tapes and there's uh there's some good titles on those trailers
0: yeah, and uh, we can uh, have the racks too if we want them. We can have the. Come racks. on. Yeah, yeah, we can have the racks too. Yeah, think about how beautiful that is, you know. Yeah, and there are a couple of cans that were closed that I didn't open, but there are a couple of cans labeled nitrate. Now those are really old. Yeah. I don't know what's in them, but they're old. Oh
2: my goodness. Old and yeah. dangerous.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is why we must be very careful with them.
2: I've always wanted to see nitrate film because I'm told it has a very unique look to it that film that came after does not have.
0: Right, the darks are really dark. I mean, the blacks are really like like solid. I mean, it's just the contrast is fantastic. And if they're in the same shape as the ones that he has on the racks, but they've got to be pretty old. I can't wait to run them and find out what they
1: are. But uh, yeah, there's a couple cans of nitrate too. I have this fear. I don't know if you guys have this fear as well but I always worry something's going to happen to me and my collection that means so much to me. And when I say collection, I mean my records, my, my DVD and Blu-ray collection, my, you know, my things. Yeah. Don't forget your t-shirts. Oh, of course my covenant t-shirt, which Nancy loves. I worry, you know, like this stuff is going to go lost. It's going to get donated to a thrift store or something like that. And it's something that, a person I truly loved. And the idea that, you know, Jeff walked into this guy's house after he passed away, somebody who also is somebody who appreciates film as much as he did and does is it's just, it's kind of crazy. I think that's, that's a, a beautiful element to this whole thing as well. Cause it's not the first time that somebody has, has reached out or walked into the booth and said, I stumbled upon these i came upon these because so and so passed away and they get to tell us their story and it almost uh passes on their their legacy in a weird way their their love and fandom in a weird way
0: yeah absolutely absolutely
1: yeah hopefully you guys will be able to see some of this stuff on the big screen we like to share a lot of videos and things like that to the patreon and social medias and this for sure will be great digging through these boxes of trailers and bringing all this stuff home and finding a place for it.
0: Absolutely. It's going to be fantastic. And my idea, of course, is to get all of these located in one place, not too far from the drive-in, that we can go down, give somebody the key, go down, pick up what we need, and bring it back. And we're going to put, you know, I know Robert took some home with him to get to clean out the back room a little bit. But all the stuff in the back room, all the stuff that Robert has, all the stuff that I still have, it's all going to be in one place. Oh, that'll be Great. And, and yeah, it's all going to be in one place. And we're going to be able to go down, pick out anything we want, and bring it back. That's awesome. A great new motion picture in the world's newest motion picture process, Cinemagic. The wonder of the added fourth dimension. With Cinemagic, you are actually on the first rocket ride to Mars in the Angry Red Planet. You feel the dizzying heights of their fantastic city of mile high buildings. You'll shiver as you ride the River of the Dead. Your depth perception will increase a thousandfold as you look into the waters that lead to Foreverness. And the terrors you meet on Mars are beyond man's imagination the Rat Bat Spider. So real in cinemagic, you'll feel the crazed stare of its blinded eyes, the tearing shock of its iron claws, the giant amoeba. Like an earth germ only a hundred million times larger. Thrills, shocks, terrors, and your first glimpse of the life and the world of Mars. All are yours to experience in
1: The Angry Red Planet. In Eastman 5250 color from American International. Well, why don't we, uh, I know the last time we left off last episode, we were starting
2: to hit some fan questions. I take it, Mark, you still got some of those? Oh, we have, every time we put it out to our Patreon folks, give us some questions or some topics to work from. They deliver, they deliver like FedEx in the old days. They deliver, they got (laughs) jets, they got trucks, they use rail, the occasional telegram. No, they deliver these amazing, thoughtful, thought-provoking questions so i've got a bunch of those that that we received there's one we wanted to save because virgil and i talked about it but we thought jeff should weigh in yeah and then a bunch that have come into our possession after we recorded the patreon only show so to the for the answers for the first two or three you have to be a patreon member to hear those but now the public will hear the rest of this i remember now my mind is going
1: back which always isn't the best and sharpest at times but i'm remembering what that question was that we wanted to get jeff involved in so Whenever we can get Jeff on the pod, it's, uh, it's great to jump into these things. Now, from what I'm remembering, this question had to do with women in movies that took our fancy growing up. Am I remembering correctly? Maybe you should read the
2: quote. I'll read it. That's the way it was presented to us. Because you know we're we're straight dudes, it's gonna be women. But if it was if we had a more varied number of people with us, it could be something else. But Gene Beretta asks, Sex Lies, and 35 millimeter, romance below the screen, stories about couples in their cars, outside their cars, naughty's behavior that had to be stopped, best films to promote that behavior. Which sex symbol would you have as a guest at the Mahoning, your biggest crushes (laughs) in different film categories, horror, drama, comedy? So the first part of this is spotlight on Mr. Maddox. Do you have stories about uh, Randy behavior at drive-ins you've worked at?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Uh, absolutely.
1: (laughs) I'm sure it's endless. When we were talking about Gene's uh, stories, that's the ones he'd always love to tell.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, I was running the highway drive-in in Limerick, Pennsylvania. I did that in 86 and 87. So don't remember if it was 86 or 87, but I was closing up one night, middle of the summer, and there's one car left on the field. And uh, unlike us, back then, you know, you couldn't have people staying overnight. As a matter of fact, my company that I worked for specifically told us, you make sure that field is clear of everybody before you go home. Right. So great. So I'm closing up one night. There's one car left. And I thought, oh, they fell asleep because that happens now and then. So I took my flashlight because, you know, it's pitch dark. <laughs> I went out, went out to the car, tapped on the window. And to put it in nice words, there's a couple, <laughs> there's a couple going at it in the backseat. She's on top of him. And I knock on the window, and she turns and looks at me over her shoulder and says, we'll be done in a minute. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then just went right back to it. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: Dedication, Holmes. We came to the drive-in for a reason, sir. We're almost done.
0: <laughs> right. But it, yeah. That's what she said. We'll be done in a minute. And so wow.
1: I- that's classic. That's one for the book. what's it like to run a drive-in well be prepared for things like this (laughs) Exactly. i told them a story or two of hearing things but i've never witnessed james told a story of walking up on somebody in the jason costume in the the, and he walked up on on somebody trying to scare them in the car and they were going at it i said oh my gosh they're gonna tell that story forever the best bar story i ever heard (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah we went to the drive-in and guess who shows up <laughs> yeah <out> the window. <laughs> oh yes
0: That's give a couples point. a chance there's that kind of thing that goes on i mean you know
1: <laughs> part of the drive-in culture it's i think i said on the patreon podcast too whenever we have the uh celebrity guests or guests in general i have a habit of saying what's your experience at the drive-in or with the drive-in and they all right. give a look like should I say? What do you mean by experience? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
2: like the mind automatically goes there. So, Gene asked, "What are the best films to promote that behavior?" So, it, did it? I don't know that it really matters. I think if spring is in the air, so to speak, <laughs> or yeah. there's springs yeah. in the We were playing seat.
1: Friday the Thirteenth movies, and you know, whatever floats your boat, I guess. But I remember we t- we said yeah. uh, the Russ Meyer movies, movies that kind of have that vixeny sex appeal i mean that's that's what i think of personally
2: i would have thought you know like 80s teen sex comedies like in those days that's that's where everybody's mind is at you're going to watch that's true put thoughts like how many sex
1: scenes can we jam yeah yeah
0: i i think i think that's a big part of it but you could really run anything and there's still going to be that kind of stuff going on
2: yeah
0: it happens part of the culture baby
2: One of my favorite stories that that Bill, whose uh, father built the drive-in, the original owner, he tells some stories. We'll get him on eventually to maybe tell the story I'm referring to, but there is a great story that happened at the Mahoning involving uh, salacious behavior during uh, Toy Story 3. (laughs) It really doesn't matter what the movie is. You got to pick and choose
1: your your spots, people.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Is this this, uh, story uh, not at ground level? (laughs)
2: this this is an elevated story
1: yes i've heard okay this thing i
2: was thinking okay
1: (laughs) yeah bill has Bill has a couple going
2: one day we will tell that story but perhaps not today (laughs) so also gene is asking uh which sex symbol would you have as a guest at the mahoney
1: we talk about it all the time jeff elvira i mean that's that's one that boop is perfect for the mahoney yeah. And whether or not she presents herself as the sex symbol, I mean, come on. She's Elvira. Exactly. Exactly. And
0: another one, because I fell in love all over again when I saw the new Spider-Man movie. Marissa Tomei. Wow, right? <laughs> She's incredible. I don't care. And she looked great.
1: She's 57 years old, and she looked fantastic. Yeah. She looked That's great.
2: a That's a big play in those Spider-Man movies. It's like, hey, Aunt May is looking great. Good. You know, I was thinking about that. It, it, I was thinking about the previous incarnations. You had uh, an elderly woman in the Tobey Maguire's. You had yes. Sally Field in the it, uh, Andrew yes. Garfield's. And then you have Mr. Marissa Tomei. And there was some meme going around that, you know, the next Spider-Man, she's going to be like a teenager or the same age. Same age. <laughs> it's just younger and younger and younger. But she's, I mean, she's great. She's been great in things since, I remember her on, God, afternoon soap operas in the 80s. She's been around for a long oh, time. Oh, she's in. Some people just don't seem to age. Some people, male and female, have work done to stay looking young. But some people, it's just crazy when you hear how old they are. It just doesn't. It's like they're sleeping from aldehyde know. Or they've got a painting in the attic or something. And you can tell she's older, but she still looks fantastic. So the next question, part of this question, is your your biggest crushes in different film categories. I don't know if we got that specific. I couldn't really think of anybody per se when we were talking the last time. He said, you know, horror, drama, comedy, whatever. I said for me, my first love because
1: my father was obsessed with her was Anne-Margaret. That He used uh, to watch Anne-Margaret movies just for Anne-Margaret. And that became very impressionable on me early to be like, oh, well, that's a beautiful woman, you know? And she was one that still to this day, man, Margaret's name pops up in
2: a credit. I I flutter a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's a heart murmur and you should get that checked out.
0: <laughs> I can remember a couple from when I was a kid. So I go back a few more years than you guys do, but I think you'll know the names. But uh, when I was a kid, girls that I thought just were absolutely gorgeous. Of course they were all on TV. I mean, you know, films and TV shows. Uh, back then, of course, you had NBC present Sunday Night at the Movies and all this, you know, you had all that stuff back then. But my early crushes were, uh, let's see, um, Anne Francis, yeah, Julie Newmar, Lee Merriweather, Anne Baxter. Oh, my goodness. Stephanie Powers and Inger Stevens. I had crushes on all those girls when I was a kid. I, they, I thought they were just gorgeous.
2: And I believe... Without giving anything away, we are intending to show a film that features one of those ladies this coming season. That's true. Great,
0: fantastic.
2: Yeah, we, uh, we, we've
1: we been so lucky with the guests and the idea of bringing some of these stars, huge kind of symbols at the time, bringing them out to see their fans, It's that would be super cool, super fun.
2: And we've done a little of that. I mean, we had Linnea Quigley come out to the theater, who who for a generation was this you know, major crush sque- screen. I coach.
1: watched men melt at that table.
2: It was great. I, I watched staff members melt.
1: Being at the DJ booth, you know it. You get that great view and a guest is right outside of the booth. But it, it's crazy. We watched some of our staff melt, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember uh-huh. Tony, Tony came in and was just like, where's Linnea? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He yeah. still talks um, about her
0: at the radio station. Still I'm, telling
1: about I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, But yeah, you're, when you're impressionable as a kid and you see these people larger than life up on the big screen, you know, it, 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 it's so impressionable on you and you become obsessed sometimes. I, I, I certainly recall uh, some of those instances where you just kind of become fixated on a person. I brought up, Jeff, this, I don't know if you remember this show, but MTV used to have a show called Singled Out. And one of the hosts was Jenny McCarthy, who was, I think she's posting something. But I remember, I was probably way too young to have a poster of a woman scantily clad on a bed, you know, literally on my wall, just bang. And for whatever reason, my parents were just like, all right, I'm gonna encourage this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was such a, you know, I think- Farrah Fawcett really like kicked that off. Yeah, the wall
1: women, you know. And then then
2: it it seemed like uh, 70s, 80s, that was a big thing, but I feel like at some point that dropped off the whole saucy lady poster on your wall. That's something my parents. I think I bought it at like a Walmart
1: or at Sears. Yeah, I remember
2: going to Kmart or in in my area it was an Ames department store and they had that the the metal frames that you would flip through. Usually they were like near the music section or something like that.
1: Yes, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. What a, yeah what a different time right? but we've had
2: uh, male and female celebrities out at the drive-in now that uh, people are just gaga over i mean noah hathaway atreyu last year you had the endless line of people who are just googly hide and slack jaw that he was there zach galligan um, yeah. yep. i mean it, it really goes both ways we're an equal opportunity uh crush promoter.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like Theater for sure yeah
2: Nance talks about
1: that all the time. She had an amazing one-on-one interaction with Noah. I think I think he just knows, you know. Like people eat him up, and uh, a lot of these guests, they they really know how to what I say, play the table where it's they give the fans what they kind of want. You know, we've been really yeah. lucky to not have anybody that was like, ugh, you know, throw the pinky up. I'm too Hollywood for this, whatever. And we've had yeah. Bruce Campbell, we've had Tom Savini, we've had, you know, Bill Mosley, huge stars. Yep. And we're, we're just really lucky, I think, that the people that we align ourselves with are really into what we do, you know? And certainly if they're on the fence after the event, they are really into what we do. So it's really cool to be able to add more and more big names to the Mahoning family every yeah. season. And we're working on some good ones for this year, too, so. Well, what other dirty questions does... Gene took us on a total right turn of, like...
2: As I pointed out the last time, this is children's book author and illustrator. Muppet adjacent. (laughs) Gene, you Friend of the family.
0: (laughs) Hello there. Give the demonstration of my new invention, the goodies machine. The machine turns out delicious hot doggies, one after the other, and thirst-quenching sodas also. Gives popcorn of the most tasty kind, plain and buttered. Candy too, crunchy and dandy. Steaming hot coffee and ice cream too. These goodies are at a snack bar just waiting for you. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So, up next, our good friend John Dahl asks this musical question. Favorite, these people had so much filming this movie, movies, movies that you just seemed like they were a blast to make. Somebody actually has commented on that and they suggested Animal House, Blues Brothers, Caddyshack, uh, or anything. Oh, like, like
1: movies oh, that yeah. seem like they had a blast making.
2: make. Yeah. And he said, or anything that has Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham in the credits, which is what I would say. Uh, Cannonball is <laughs> mine. And that was one of the criticisms of that movie when it came out and through the years is it's just like, it's a bunch of people just goofing off having a good time. I'm like, yes, it's people goofing and- off and having a good time. Yeah. And I actually, when I speaking of crushes, when I met Adrienne Barbeau at a convention years ago, I'm a huge Cannonball fan, if I haven't mentioned it. And I asked her about it and I said, it looks like it was just the most fun to make. And she said, yeah, it was a really good time. So the Smokey and the Bandit and two of my favorite movies are that. They're movies that people just are having a blast. Detroit Rock City looks like it was a blast to, to make. Do you guys have any movies like that that you just part of the reason you love to watch them is because you wish you could have been there when they made it? Yes. <laughs> I call them hangout movies, movies where you Judgment at <laughs> Nuremberg. <and Ermer. laughs> it's a great one. The Pawnbroker is the one I always go to for that. No,
1: 12 Angry Men. It's you want to go and have a great time. But no, yeah, I call them hangout movies, movies where when you watch them, you feel like you are hanging out with old friends, visiting old friends, and a lot of movies were really impressionable on me in middle school, but especially high school when I really started thinking about film as a craft, you know? But I would re-watch Dazed and Confused over and over again because they felt like, um, you know, characters that I was experiencing at school to just like in a different era. Certainly Clerks, any of the Kevin Smith movies. I think the reason I love Kevin Smith movies is because I started getting into uh, when I was running the video store the commentary aspect of things and he really took you down this path of like you know I'm making movies with my friends and once you start knowing that it becomes more and more fun to get down with that but gosh yeah there's so many but those those are certainly two that come to mind
0: yeah a movie for me that I always thought was a blast to make uh, the hateful eight no, I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> Everyone like so focused on their character.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no uh, I'll tell you what that I thought was a blast to make was probably uh, the Money Pit.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That is. I bet great they one.
0: had a blast making that. Yeah. People where
1: they have that chemistry, you know what I mean, and it it pops yeah. off the screen. You know, a lot of comedies yeah. are really good with that. I think the Judd Apatow movies are really good with that. The earlier ones are really good with that. With Having it feel like you're hanging out with buddies and they're kind of snapping quick off the top, you know? Right, right. That's yeah. funny because I think about high school movies like Breakfast Club. They seem like oh, yeah. they are friends that they turned a camera on. Fast Times at Ridgemont High feels like that is a functioning high school that somebody walked in with a camera, you know? Yeah, yeah. The set I always wished I could take a time machine and find a way on is uh, almost famous. I love that movie so much it's an era of rock and roll and kind of america that i would just love to kind of be a fly on the wall there and with the filming of that movie it it, the more more times i watch it it becomes better and better to me how about you mark obviously the burt reynolds stuff you know i'm trying to think of stuff that has the gag reels at the end (laughs) where you can literally see them cracking up
2: you know, yeah, for me, it's probably that that trinity, the burt Hal trinity of uh, Hooper, Sm- or Smokey, chronologically, Smokey and the Bandit, Hooper and Cannonball, run the first of each of those movies. It just looks, they were good old boys. They were good old boy movies and people, you know, knocking them back and having a good time. And uh, those outtake reels really do show you that. I think the outtake reel for, for those guys started with Smokey 2, actually, a movie I don't really like, but... Um, then it did. They did it in Cannonball. Most people remember that, but uh, yeah, those are the ones that come immediately to mind. And everything else we've mentioned. See, the thing is, a lot of times, the funniest movies it takes a lot of hard work to make. So it's I was thinking into the Pink Panther movies I've been thinking about lately, and how how I love those, and I don't know wow. if those are as much fun to make as they were to watch, but right. maybe something like Getting Mad wrong, Mad much. Mad World because that was. Everybody in that cast was a comedian. yeah and I've heard tales of Jonathan Winters would sit in his trailer during the production of that and just entertain people between shots. Like somebody would throw him a hat and he'd do a character for 20 minutes until they were ready on the set again. So I imagine that one was probably quite a good time.
1: I mean the, the Martin and Lewis stuff, you know like think about how 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 crazy that would have been. And how much fun yeah. it would have been to, to be uh, in in that madness. <laughs> but yeah. I was thinking about like the Western stuff. I'm I'm digging into more, trying to dig into some more Western stuff over this week. And uh, I watched Rio Bravo again. That oh, movie. That's... Speaking of oh, Dean so, Martin. Yeah. Well, that's what made me think of it because you know that that's another movie where you just feel like these all these stars are at like their pinnacle. <laughs> Yeah. Like you can't you can't rock any of these boats, and yeah, that must have been a blast. But yeah, the the, the hangout movie it's it's a great appeal for me, and uh, when it works really well, I mean, I go right away again to the comedy stuff, like the the Jim Carrey stuff. We've never played, I think, any. I don't know if we've ever played any Jim Carrey stuff but there's a great gag reel at the end of Liar Liar you guys I ever seen? that? Yeah. Oh, oh my oh, god
0: that's a great <laughs> I'm just movie. like
1: I want to see an hour of
2: this <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: that's a great movie I think oh, so used
2: much cars fun. would be another one too used cars is yeah. hilarious everybody in it is hilarious yeah. and it's such a like yeah. off the wall wild movie that I can't imagine it was totally boring when the camera was off
1: that's a good one and John Dahl. Yeah, we, love, we love John. He's a
2: regular at the uh at the Mahoney. He actually spun some records uh I think in the last month at the month He he did a couple yeah. DJ sets and he was good. Very, very amusing, eclectic, semi-wacky sets. Yeah. And he created an amazing button that is uh an, available only to Simplex members at our screenings that refers to something we always play at our Simplex members only screenings. And he That's came right. up to me and he showed me and was like, would you know, would you care? Be okay if I made some of these? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. I want one. He did he actually made the staff those patches too. Remember some that amazing em- embroidered patches that he designed and had made for us. Yeah, John's a yeah. good guy.
1: Malamundo, the wide, wild, uninhibited
0: world of restless, reckless youth. Malamundo, frenzied, frantic youth on the loose the new generation looking for new kicks anywhere they can find them.
1: Malamundo, the youth of Europe seen in the glaring spotlight of its own excesses. Raw, raucous, rowdy, from Bond Street to Bedlam, from Paris to pandemonium, the good and the bad, the wild and the willing. This is Malamundo, a motion picture unlike any you've ever seen before. Two years in the making by Europe's top camera
2: crews, Hear the new song hit, Funny World, sung by Jane Morgan in Palomundo. Up next, William Sebastian asks, movie-ish question, if you could have a beer with any actress or actor, living or dead, who would it be? Hang out and knock one back. Living or dead? Oh my God, that's so hard. I I think it just boils down to, who would you just like to hang out with for a little while? (laughs) Well, it's funny
1: because... We're now on Letterboxd. This isn't a push or an ad for Letterboxd, although I'm loving it. Uh, Jeff, if you don't know, Letterbox is like a means to log the movies that you watch and have watched, and you can uh, review them. It's kind of a social oh, thing, too. You create these oh, accounts. A- yeah, so you can yeah. see what your friends are watching as far as movie-wise, see what they think about movies. and And I use it as a way to just keep track of what I've seen. Oh, oh it's wow, great. That's-, that's my biggest issue is, you know, trying to remember. And now with the theater, it's a great tool because um, you can create lists. And I started making lists of what we played over a season. So if you go on Letterboxd, there's a 2014 through 2020 now, every single movie that played at the Mahoning in that season, you can just scan and see all the titles. And it's been really fun, but it's also been memory lane. But We haven't done it in, I think now, three years if we don't do it this year. But those of you guys that know me, I'm a huge Kevin Smith guy. Without a doubt, the opportunity to bring Kevin to the theater, into the Mahoning fold, is something I've been like dreaming of since day one, as Jeff will attest. Didn't he say he Uh, thought he could make it this year, maybe? We were so close. It was last year. Oh Yeah, I I talked with Malcolm Ingram, who is one of Kevin's good buddies, and he also is a documentarian and made the recent, actually, I just bought a copy the same day I bought Marionette Land. It came out the same day. Documentary about Kevin Smith called Clerk. And we were trying to bring Malcolm and Kevin out during the pandemic to do this big premiere screening, East Coast premiere screening of clerk. And of course, in uh, pure Mahoning fashion, we were going to try to make it like a big three day couple Kevin Smith movies and the premiere each night. And it was just, it was going great. And it was the pandemic more than anything that crushed it. But if, if you're a fan of the Mahoning, you know it, that's a no brainer event or home for somebody to come and do what they do on the Mahoning lot. And since we've grown more and more over the years, it almost makes more sense now, now that, you know, like the Joe Bob situation where he was actually able to present from a stage and, you know, right. do the, the field show up front and all that stuff. There's there's elements now that we have in our pocket that would make that a lot easier, but I have to go to that for, for probably my my number one living. God, that's so hard, dude. If I had like the choice and it had to be just one person, that would be like, ugh, I'd shake myself silly. Just being like, I, I can't pick it. But I'll think
2: on the dead one. What about you guys? It's funny because a lot of people who I like, or I think are there, I really enjoy their work. They may be a dud to talk to. <laughs> because like, I also <laughs> you don't want that bubble burst. There, you brought me back from the dead for this. Exactly. Yeah. it's one of those things where I had always heard going back to, you know, Pink Panther and Peter Sellers, who I love and loved growing up. People often said, you know, if he wasn't doing a character, he really wasn't much of a person. Like he didn't have his own identity. He only really came alive when he was being somebody else. So uh, I I think about dead people because it's less likely that would ever happen. So if I can have my wish, why not with somebody that's not possible to possibly? (laughs) Because think about the life we are living right now. Think about all the people we've met and hung out with at the theater. That was insanity if you told us that a decade ago. So yeah. if you told us that two years ago, yeah. So like anybody who's alive, that's still a possibility as far as we're concerned. So I'm going to skip that. For me, it might be somebody, somebody like Burt Reynolds or somebody like Robert Mitchum, or somebody who yeah. has stories and a lot of panache. Yeah. Maybe Kurt Russell, a guy who's alive now, because if you listen to the commentaries he's on for the Carpenter movies, he's hilarious and super cool. He uh, seems like he's just such a gem. Yeah. Somebody who's just, you know, is a good conversationalist and and has stories. So I I, I guess those are the ones I would probably go with off the top of my head. I mean, as you guys talk, if I think of more, I'll jump in.
0: Both of my choices are dead, unfortunately. But I would say female, I would say Inger Stevens. And male, I
1: would say Humphrey Bogart. Oh, yeah. You talk about stories. Oh. Talk about a photo op at the Mahoney. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah. He's here in person bogey fest uh, my friend ian runs the somerville theater in boston it's a beautiful old classic movie theater that also does live events and they're doing a, a bogey series on 35 a couple of weekends i think and they're calling it uh, weekend at bogeys which i thought was kind of oh cool. so good yeah and that anytime is- i see anybody else running 35 and interesting titles i always make note of it because it's like okay there's a print of that and there's a print of that that's yeah. another fun thing about letterbox too is I'm not the only one
1: who makes lists. And a lot of people put up there my personal 35 millimeter collection or the UCLA vault collection. You know, people are doing real service to us (laughs) and to the fans out there who sometimes it's it's a dig and it's a search. And to have a social network that really connects on a movie level, I'm loving it more and more. So, and again, they don't sponsor us. We're just... (laughs) We're just truly liking it. <laughs> well, the idea behind, I'm really kind
0: of into growing our film collection now after this latest acquisition, because the more prints we get, the more we can trade instead of having to rent everything. Oh, sure, yeah. That's just from a business standpoint. Hey, we have a print of that. You want to borrow it? Sure. All right, let us borrow something from you for nothing, you know? And I mean, I think yeah. that's great. And we are bound to, if we keep growing our film collection... We're bound to get some stuff that is rare and hard to find. We might have some now already that are rare and hard to find. In fact, one of those titles, which I won't mention, but one of those titles I read to you, Humphrey Bogart, is in
1: the movie. I love it. Can't wait to dig. That's a great question. And uh, those of you guys that want to get involved, again, if you're not on the Patreon, jump over to the Patreon
2: and let us know. Who would you want to have dinner with? And when we say living or dead, they, they would be alive when they had dinner with you. It's not like you, you'd get a, you know, an urn would show up with the dinner you would have. To <laughs> to- Weekend yeah. at Bernie's style. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not that. Yeah. Here's the way we quench our thirst. Quench our thirst. Quench our thirst. Here's the
0: way we quench our thirst. At the refreshment counter Now's the time to yum yum,
1: yum 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 Now's the time to yum 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 At the refreshment counter Popcorn, drinks and candy too Candy too Candy too Popcorn drinks and candy too At the refreshment counter At the refreshment counter At the refreshment counter
2: so up next, uh, Rob Tillich asks this question, weird movie associations. I don't know if others do the same, but I'm more readily able to associate moments in my life with movies I've seen at that time. Dune equals walking our dog with my younger brother after seeing it, running up ahead of him and hiding in the bushes to scare him half a dozen times until deservedly getting my nose broken on the seventh go round by one of his wildly flailing, terrified limbs. <laughs> you didn't even need to ask yeah. a question. That story alone is great. Uh, born on the 4th of July <laughs> inexplicably equals making out with my girlfriend at the time junior year in the back of the theater. So what oh, I, I guess this is what memories do you have associated around seeing a movie that aren't necessarily about sitting and looking at that movie? I think we
1: all do that. I think as just a a person, you connect memories with music, with movies, with, you know, whatever the the, the kind of media is happening at the time. Man, so many, so many. So it's strange because whenever I watch Fire in the Sky, which we've talked about on the the podcast before and how much that movie freaked me out the summer that I saw it on HBO, I get this sense memory of the summertime kind of air, you know, and we used to, uh, I'm sure you guys had it too. We had the ice cream man come through
2: all the time. You know, through the neighborhood, we never had that where I where I grew up. I was always so wow. jealous. That we had an ice cream truck.
1: That's yeah. crazy. It's like he would know when all the kids were at a certain house. He'd like stop there until we all came out. Of the, <laughs> all came out of the house. But whenever I watch certain movies from my childhood, I used to always get a chipwich. Which, if you guys know, it's the two cookies, ice cream, yeah. the chips around it. So good, perfect treat. But I would get it every time during summer. And there was this long stretch where we would become obsessed as a group with movies, you know, that had just come out, whatever the case is. But to this day, whenever I watch Mighty Ducks, I start to fiend (laughs) chipwitches. Same thing happened to me when I watched Little Giants. I watched Little Giants with Virgie and uh, not too long ago. And I went on my 90s run and same thing happened where i'm like i want some ice cream specifically Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah a lot of t- a lot of memories with movies and shows with relationships i remember one of my first girlfriends in middle school and then going into high school i used to go over to her house and watch dawson's creek you know because she liked it whatever her parents would let us let me come over and yeah Dawson's Creek has a whole other, like, meaning into my memory. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's great. That's yeah, well, certain stuff, like I said, like certain stuff, it clicks with you, you know? Yes.
2: Whenever I watch the opening titles to Never Say Never Again, the Connery Bond film from 83, the the unofficial Bond film from 83, Yeah. I remember seeing that initially at the Claremont Drive-In in New Hampshire, where I grew up. And that was a drive-in screen that had the sort of, in the scheme of things, thin vertical strips of metal made up the screen. Yep. So occasionally you would see, if you were close enough or whatever, you would see the texture of those strips if it was a very white image. And the opening of that movie projected on that screen, the opening of that movie has vertical lines in it. That's like the, the look of the opening titles over the imagery that you see. So when I watch that opening title now, I still think about seeing it at the drive-in because it it's sort of the movie itself replicates occasionally the look of what a movie looked like there. So I always think uh, about that. I remember, see, I'm, I'm just going to lapse into stories of what happened in or around the theater. So here's a little story. Back in uh, 1980, I want to say, a movie came was advertised heavily on TV called Earthbound. It's a movie that's been totally forgotten. It was produced by Sun Classics, which was a movie company that was known for chariots of the gods and a lot of those in search of kind of film documentaries in search of historic yeah. Jesus and chariots of the gods and all kinds of other stuff. But they did a dramatic family oriented film about this family in, in a UFO come in outer space and they crash land on Earth. And they have to pretend to be Earth people, and Burl Ives is in it, and he helps them out. I had Christopher Connolly, who went on to be in some early '80s like Italian schlock movies, like Raiders of Atlantis and stuff. And it's 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 this family movie plays like it's a TV movie, and it's this family trying to like fix their spaceship and go home before the authorities get them. Sort of like ET, but they're much. They look like us, and it was a couple years before ET, so it was coming out and. My mother was going to take me to go see it the opening weekend. So I'm in line for the bus in grade school. And I mentioned to a friend of mine that he can come with us because you need to go, your parents would take you and a friend to the movies. And then other kids are talking about it. And I I proclaimed to all the kids in line, which is three or four or five kids. Oh, my mother will take all of us. She'll pay, don't worry about it. And then I got home that night and I informed my mother that I told five or six kids that she would be taking us all to the movies. (laughs) And she was (laughs) like, what? Yeah. How about you don't promise how many people I'm going to take? I mean, these were kids I was barely even friends with. I don't know. I was feeling, I was feeling generous that day. Um, so we went to the movie. We took up most of a row. We, we watched it. We liked it. And then when we left, we found out that my friend's older sister who was with us had lost her comb. I guess she had a comb in her back pocket and she lost it. And apparently it was a very important comb. So they had to go back in and like look for the comb as the next show was playing. So like, none of us could go home. We were hanging in the lobby of, you know, this is the early 80s, so the theaters were busy. People went to see everything. And it was like a Friday night. So we sat there like through part of the nine o'clock show while these kids went in to look for her comb amongst people who were sitting in their seats trying to watch a movie. So there's no real <laughs> point to that story. There's no big <laughs> laugh at the end of it. But I often think about that movie and the fact that we had to search for somebody's comb in the dark. And that's that movie just like yeah. never hit home video as far as I know, It's it's kind of a lost film. The old comb fiasco. The old comb it fiasco. It. I was yeah. just boring Val yeah. with that story just the other day. She's looking at you right now like, you're not telling the comb story. It isn't you? even a story!
1: <laughs> nah, that's great. And there's so many. We've talked about it over and over again. The uh, I feel like I love certain movies because I experienced them at a drive-in. And I had that moment of discussion with friends and family and whatever else. And you know you're impressionable as a kid, and all it takes is a cousin to say that movie rocked,
2: right? And you're like, yeah, it did. <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned the crawl <laughs> story. That's it. that's another one. So we were watching the movie Crawl, uh, which we probably should show someday. The movie Crawl oh, yeah. on HBO when it first hit HBO, and I was watch laying on the living room floor, just kind of casually watching this. And there's this scene where these like creatures or bad guy soldiers or whatever are are marching through a swamp. It's very foggy and somebody shoots one of them with this gun. And it's like what they used to do with like electricity, like animated electricity all over a person. So they get shot with it. And this creature is, you know, enveloped in, in animated electricity and they scream and fall over. And right as that electricity hit the creature, I got a foot cramp and I'd never had a foot cramp before. So suddenly this creature is getting shocked and in pain and I am feeling pain. And it was the split second where my mind is like, did something just come out of the TV and hurt me? (laughs) Everything. Every time I think of crawl, I think of the first time I got a foot cramp. (laughs) That's
1: awesome. That's That's awesome. Yeah, man. If I could rack my brain, there's so many, you know, like I said, I think that's, that's a natural human thing to connect memories and movies and, It happens all the time on the lot where, you know, I'll forget something happened. And while we're watching a movie that I haven't watched in sometimes 30 years, you know, it'll bring back this whole like, oh, my gosh, I remember walking the video store aisle and seeing this or grabbing this or whatever. That's, I I think, nostalgia again. You know, the fact that it can kind of rumble up at moments is another uh, big appeal.
0: Save your battery in your disposition. When it rains, you can still enjoy the movie with a Drizzle Guard rain visor. Simply press suction cups to the windshield as shown in the detail on your instruction sheet. Drizzle Guards are on sale now at the concession stand.
2: Next, we have Zachariah Smith. Oh, he said my name in his question. On a podcast, Mark (laughs) talked about seeing the opening scene from prom night on TV as a youth, and I had virtually the same experience. When you encounter someone who's had the same formative moment as you, does it make you feel good that you found a kindred spirit, or bad that your personal memory isn't as unique as you thought? <laughs> I think it's cool that that that's what brings it so many is. of us together. Yeah, the shared yeah. experience of seeing a movie in the theater together, or seeing a movie at the same time period, or back when you know, back in my day in school, you talk about what you watched on TV the night before, and with so many fewer channels and everybody watching everything live chances were pretty good that the majority of people you would talk to saw the same thing you did. And that kind of brought you together. So yeah, I, I don't feel any less. I think it's very cool that uh, he had the same experience I did with Prom Night. So I know it, it's not just me.
1: Yeah, and and we talked about, what, what, what we were talking about, I don't know how that came up, I guess, because that was what, a TV movie that you were talking about?
2: It was the broadcast premiere of Prom Night on TV when I was a little kid. And I caught yeah. it. You know, Home Alone, and it just freaked me out.
1: Yeah, I think honestly, The Mahoning was born on kind of coming together and all getting scared together. You know, yeah. I feel like yeah, we all share these stories and these moments, and especially the age range thing is is big. You know, where if a movie does a really good job, it scares the hell out of everybody. But sometimes, you know, you remember movies that were really, really scary. When you saw them as a kid, or when you first saw them, and then they don't have that effect anymore, or whatever. But I really get into it when you see somebody else as scarred as you are over a piece of
2: uh, film. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be scary movies. It could be, you know, we 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 all cried at Titanic at the same. That's time. That's true too. Well, we all had I'm a foot cramp during care. Crawl or something like that.
1: It's just yeah, anything that right. we all can share. I'm thinking about the story. You know, like it was great when the podcast was starting when we booked travis walton and like i kept saying i'm facing my fears guys the movie that literally scarred me as a child and kept me from wanting to go out in the dark and and all that stuff and i have the guy here with me but that was an event where you you saw it you heard it people coming in the booth and telling their experience of with this movie and that's one that worked on all ages didn't matter i think uh what age you were at, it just was really uh, effective. Just like you said, the stuff that plays on TV at a certain time, if you're at a certain age and that thing just gets thrust upon you, (laughs) no no forewarning when you clicked over to the next channel, it's just there.
2: (laughs) You said it, it really is what the Mahoning was built on. It's people who have had similar formative experiences coming together and sharing that. I mean, any celebrity we have at the drive-in probably hear yeah. some variation on the same story a thousand times. You know, I first saw oh God, a yeah. never ending story when I was yeah. blah, blah, blah. And that made me so sad when the horse died or, you know, I had a crush on yeah. you or whatever it was. And we all, I mean, that's, if, if fandom is the word, that's what we thrive on is, is everybody having a place that they can connect with other people who have had a similar experience. And sometimes it's not even being the same age. I mean, God, the universal monster weekends we do, the age range is crazy. It's little kids to the elderly all of yeah. whom were touched by these movies at some point in their life.
1: Yeah. Fandom has, has no uh, age range. That's the beautiful thing about it. And uh, yeah, for sure. That happens all the time. How many times has somebody come to the, the lot and been like, I saw the documentary. I love Mark.
2: <laughs> I'm Not in often with enough, Mark. but you know.
1: <laughs> I mean, all the time. You see, you know, it's, it's, it's becoming a regular thing. <laughs> That's a good question. You know, it's again, I wouldn't, I don't really understand why somebody would be like pissed
2: about it. <laughs> what was, what was the second half of his, or do you get upset that they what? He said, when you encounter someone who's had the same formative moment as you, does it make you feel good? You've found a kindred spirit or bad that your personal memory isn't as unique as you thought. <laughs> I guess I could see that if Zach, you were like, Zach is awesome. if you were dining out on this story for years where it's like, you know, <laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: I saw house of wax in 3d. so So did I
1: literally (laughs) just fight breaks out you son of a bitch (laughs) (laughs) oh that's fun Zach's a jokester we love
2: Zach but again these questions are so thought provoking I love it that's why I throw it (laughs) out to Patreon often I'm like give us something to talk about And and it spawns interesting stories we might not have told or interesting discussions and things so it doesn't always have to be a question it can just be you know what what prison film in French is your favorite?
1: Uh, and, and that's kind of what yeah. Carl
2: and Daryl do with the top five list. It's, it's something kind of specific to get your brain working. Yeah, speaking of, we did, uh, Jeff, I don't know if you
1: know, but we did a, a record with Daryl and Carl and we did some top fives. These guys are monsters, dude. I'll bet that was a blast. It was yeah. awesome, but they're so sharp yeah. and so quick. Where I say it every time they <laughs> they come up with a topic, I'm like, "Let me know in advance so I can think about this." I can't yeah, normally exactly. they do it over breakfast and just knock it out.
2: And we did have several topics they gave us that we didn't get to, so we will do another. So maybe we can do one with all of us involved.
1: Oh, totally! It's a lot of yeah. fun, but it is it's fresh. It feels pressured. <laughs> I got to live up to the standards of these two. Uh, film aficionados these two New York nuts <laughs> you shall be black prince I press you with my name you shall be black Blackula, black the black
0: avenger
1: rising from his tomb to fill the night with horror Black Cula,
0: Dracula's soul brother, deadlier even than he. Black he thirsts for your blood,
1: he hungers for your soul. More horrifying than Dracula. <coughs> the Black
0: Avenger, Black an American international
1: release, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested.
2: So the last question we have is from a fellow fellow Mahoning family member. Mistress Seneca asks, if you could, would you want the documentary at the drive-in, available now on DVD and streaming, to include a post-movie update to show how the Mahoning drive-in fared after the movie was released? A lot has happened since, like to show how successful it has been and how the audience grew to save the Mahoning little Virgie and family growing up and what the current goings-on are. That's part two. Certainly. Back at the drive-in. Yeah. Certain exactly. things, hell yeah.
1: Certain things, hell no. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, people show up and see the documentary all the time, or they'll tag us on social media and say, I saw this really great documentary, and I went to their social media, and they're still open. Because I think that the documentary does leave a, of cliffhanger thing like we were the underdog story and at
2: that time it was it kind of left it as will they make it Yeah, i don't know (laughs) the doc ends it's very it's a very upbeat ending and it shows that we had a big show (laughs) so (laughs) that's the up they survived twenty twenty. that's right and there's so many different faces there now i mean there a lot has i watched the, the doc or some of the clips from it and things like that not that i watch it all the time but when i've watched it even when it came out, I saw how different the place was from when it was shot a couple of years before that. The snack. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. The way we do yeah. things in, in the yeah. scheme of things is the same, <laughs> but a lot of has been added since then.
1: What I'd love to see is the is some of the deleted scene stuff.
2: You know, like I
1: said, the trip down to re- rescue the film, and I'm sure he has. I mean, we know it. He was there for a solid year. Yeah. He must have so much footage; right. it's ridiculous. But when we had al on to talk about his release of marionette land his most recent film
2: which is wonderful Uh, available
1: now i'm waiting for my copy available on dvd
2: and it's a streaming rental wherever you rent digital things I got a review copy of it so i got it a little bit early and it's it's you clear. son of a gun i was wondering how you got
1: it it's you know you you got the inside uh connections that's that's yeah.
2: it <laughs> i i do a review show so and luckily i'm in really good with MVD. so uh it, that's it's awesome it, it like like the at the drive-in documentary it's it's the full film it's beautifully shot it's very human very funny touching and it also has the same number 17 minutes of deleted scenes and a commentary and and a bunch of extras i'm selling the movie for everybody right here crazy al listens to the documentary so job well done i I legitimately liked it quite a bit i wouldn't i wouldn't tout it if i didn't like it i'd quietly say oh yeah he made another film
1: (laughs) it's funny because that You're used to having everything kind of be in your hands right away. And it was like, it's dropping on the 8th. And I I did a pre-order thing and it's like, won't be here until Monday, the whatever, 15th. I'm like, God, I (laughs) got to (laughs) wait. Well, Mark, why don't you
0: tease it a little bit for the people? Tell them what it's about.
2: Marionette Land is the story of Robert Brock, who is a man who runs the Lancaster Marionette Theater. That might not be the official name of it, but it's a marionette theater in Lancaster. And it's this little marionette puppet theater where this guy by himself creates all these puppets and puts on these somewhat elaborate shows. And the documentary was shot right before the pandemic hit. So he was planning to do the the 30th anniversary of the place and do a big gala show. And he does uh, like a drag show. So part of it is about him mounting that. And it's just, it's very intimate. It's Al- and Robert and robert's mother lives above the theater and sort of provides the funding to keep it running so they they have this look nice looking apartment above the theater and it's just yeah. this this portrait of yeah. this like like the film about us it's people who are very passionate about something very specific and who are really kind of going against the odds to try to make it work and uh That's al's got beautiful. a great photography eye so it looks really nice and uh i don't know we, we val and i watched it and we were just really thoroughly enjoyed it he really has a style you know
1: those yeah, who uh, who don't yeah. follow al on the social medias he on his youtube he shares his shorts that he does the what's that called the lancaster lancaster called,
2: documentaries he's done several yeah marionette land yeah. i think grew out of one of those that was just a short about robert doing the, the puppet thing and he, he does yeah. them. some of them are just interviews with people on the street some of them are and they when... have
1: such heart they're they're so well done and you know, you, you can really see a, a filmmaker's kind of a uh, fingerprint when you watch over time. And I'm really excited to see this feature length. And I know he put his whole heart into it, literally while going through uh, the madness of trying to have his kids and all that stuff. So I'm really excited to see it, as I'm sure uh, a lot of the Mahoning fans are.
2: So the, the question of another documentary, Al listens to this documentary. <laughs> so... Listen to this podcast. (laughs) Direct your queries to Manelli Films. Yes. Uh, I mean, obviously we would love to see, we've lived it and when you're in the middle of this sort of thing, you're just like, wow, that would have been great to be on camera because we've had so many ups and downs every season since that thing was shot. It it could be a series of films. Would it be interesting to people who don't know us? I don't know, but certainly the, the story is gonna make a heck of a book one day. Because this last season alone was insane. And, you know, every season we we hope that this is the year where we just put on shows and everything's groovy and calm. But we'll see.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, we're friends with Alan. Even when the madness of uh, the 2021 season was all happening, I reached out to him. I was like, you know, is, is this something you're contemplating? The idea of, you know, a potential sequel or something like that and uh he's working on his own career and his own kind of trajectory but i made sure to let him know i'm like look i'm trying to film and record as much as i can because it's it is it's amazing material if uh he ever wanted or whoever wanted to do a continuation story of where the legend has gone because if you well sometimes people come in and they're totally blind they saw the documentary and they decide to visit and they see everything that's going on and they're like oh my god god you know this has become like a uh, a serious cold following here which yeah. is really great I, it's it's much better than them searching for us and not being able to find us or being like oh well they closed the year after that documentary was made <laughs> yeah
2: exactly and from day one i've always joked with al it's it's you, you have the trilogy you have at the drive-in you have back at the drive-in and you have always at the drive-in
1: <laughs> that's, <laughs>
2: that's perfect
1: that's perfect. great <laughs> yeah us literally like in rocking chairs and stuff.
0: <laughs> We're <Yeah>. always here. <laughs> yeah.
1: That will be the last
0: one in the series called The Show Is Over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, but such such great memories with it. And we talk about it all the time. Whenever I go on to any streaming site and start watching movies, inevitably it will recommend to me, hey, you'd probably like this little film called at the drive-in it's so readily available. It's amazing. I don't know if that's Al specific work or that's an MBD thing, but the availability of this thing, it's great. And people reach out regularly, not just family members, but just people all over the place and saying like, yeah, I saw that documentary streaming on so-and-so, you know?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I- it is rare that in the off season a month, but in during the season, almost not a week goes by where we don't get a message from somebody saying they just saw it. They hope, Everything is going well. They want to visit us one day. They're from all corners of the country, if not world. And yeah, yeah it pops up because of the kind of movies I watch on Amazon and such. It does pop up. And it's, it's like, you might like this. And the picture is me. <laughs> like, I know, it's great. I know that, dude. That's weird. And it's great. It's
0: great that that's still happening because this thing is several years old now. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Going back, he did the majority of the shooting during 2016. which is just that just seems crazy you know yeah uh, how far we've come since then but it's really uh it's a great piece and i'll say it that we'll be talking about it till the day we die but it's it's forever our calling card because he was so perfectly able to capture the heart that the mahoning is and there's elements in the movie that we weren't fully leaning into yet like the james doing the costumes and some right. of the merch items and things like that, and yep. to see that we were able to kind of take that and build the business around an untested model is—it's uh, pretty cool, and I think it's inspiring for people that may be dreaming big. I think that's what this this movie, more than anything, is—it's a
2: dream big movie, you
1: know. Yeah. absolutely you dream big absolutely. you make it big you know and if
2: anybody hasn't listened to the podcast episode of this podcast that we did with al recently it's episode 35 so wherever you listen to this podcast they'll all be there somewhere and we spent about an hour with al talking about at the drive-in documentary and marionette land and just the production aspects of all this and it's a really it's a really fun chat so i don't presume oh, yeah. that everybody listens to every episode it'd be nice if you did but if you don't that episode is there for you and Mark's been doing
1: a bang up job with uh, lining up the calendar with guests as we're moving into the yeah. season. We know it, we're going to get swept up in the production tornado of it all. And it's going to be great to have a lot of these backlogged episodes. And what Mark was telling me before, that these are timeless episodes. When we do a calendar review episode, it's hard to go back and, and listen to that maybe later. Uh, it's kind of time stamped, but. When you're talking to, you know, somebody who is in the industry or somebody who is part of the drive-in culture or part of the fabric, that's something you can go back to on an informational level always. And that's really cool for the drive-in to, uh, to be able to offer that. Mention who we talked to a little while ago. We had the mind-blowing experience of talking to I mean, I'd say he's Mahoning royalty. It was kind of weird because Mark was nervous before the uh, the interview. But we had the CEO and president of Rico's Nachos on for a very short interview. But he was amazing. And it's funny because in talking to him, our model and their model kind of cross over in that. They keep all of their kind of merchandising and publicity super rooted in its past and super rooted in nostalgia and the fact that they still use Rico and Pepe and, you know, the characters that that were created, like he told us, I think in the late seventies, you know? So for something like that to still be kind of the, the, the big sell of their brand is super cool. And he's such a cool dude. And we talked about uh, so many things, including the infamous Rico's bumper that we play in at Intermission, which Jeff, you can say it, that's it's become legend. It has, definitely. Or should I say, see?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's great because at, at the end of the episode, I totally threw their tagline on him. <laughs> it was awesome. And that came about because, like I said, I don't know if
0: you were on the phone yet, Virgil, but Mark was telling me about the interview. And my first two theaters, after I got out of the Air Force, my first two theaters were indoor theaters and we had no nachos. Didn't know they existed, never heard of them, just didn't have them. My third theater was my first drive-in theater. That was in Limerick, Pennsylvania. It was the highway drive-in. Right. And there we had nachos. But I knew they were Rico's nachos. Didn't know much else about it. And one day, my district manager comes in and he says, how many intermission reels do you have? I said, three. He said, put one of these on each one. And he had a box full of trailers. And it was the Rico's Nacho trailer. (laughs) He said, I told him I had three. He said, well, put one on each one. I said, "Okay." So I saw this band around at Rico's Nachos. Okay, so they're advertising for the, you know, for the nachos that we sell. And I put one on each reel. Like at that time I did only have three. And they've been on there ever since. And this is exactly the same one that <laughs> exactly the same one that I got in 1986
1: that the people That's are watching. Amazing today. Yeah. I love that. That's yeah. We, we were we were showering him with love and it it's it was just kind of cool to do I'm sure have him here of the the fandom, the cult fandom that Rico's Nachos has. But talk about a storied past. The guy is fourth generation owner of a company that started really grassroots, you know, his, I guess, great-grandfather came over from Sicily, started his own grocery shop, which turned into the, the kind of grocer distribution chain that became Rico's. But his father, Frank, introduced concession nachos in 1976 for the very first time. His dad was the one who who came up with the concept of taking the nacho chips, cheese and the genius idea of topping them with jalapeños and yeah. serving them at the time from a cart at Arlington Stadium in 76. It's crazy. Like, you know, digging into this guy's history. I was like, what your dad created nachos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how cool is that, man? The world loves yeah. nachos. So yeah, it's uh it's a really fun episode and and one that you guys for sure will love. And again, a timeless one. We're all about representing uh, again our beloved driving culture. And talk about someone that's a part of the fabric. This is a guy that's been The main distributor in every single movie theater since he said, I think, 70, I think 78 is when they did their big contract with, uh, at the time, uh, United Artists, which became real. Think about that. If you've had a nacho in your childhood, you've had Rico's. It's kind of crazy to, I didn't want to gush too much, but I was like, you know, it is almost like having the CEO of Apple or like a huge brand because he's. In our world, he's like the biggest product
2: ever. <laughs> I don't know if, I mean, not everybody who listens to this podcast necessarily comes to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater in Lehighton, in Pennsylvania, uh, <laughs> www.mahoningdit.com. But we show, as we say, this original snack bar ad from the mid late, no, actually, it's, it's got to be from around 1980 because there's a prom night poster on the wall in the snack bar that you see in that trailer. Uh, well, we know, and Jeff got it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. sixth. Yeah, 60- 86 is when he handed them out.
2: We run yeah. that as our intermission reel and people love it. It's got this little animated sequence. You can find it on YouTube and people scream Rico when it plays. You word for word. word. People oh, post memes and all kinds of things online on, on social media and they tag us with photos of Rico's. <laughs> and we send those <laughs> to t- really anybody who listens. We do yeah. send these all to Rico's and they love it. For whatever reason, and we told Tony this, Rico's and the Mahoning are synonymous in so many people's minds that it's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to be associated with them and it's hilarious the way people, you know, associate together. So it was a really fun talk. How cool is that for a guy who's running, you know, his family's company in Texas to
1: have this East Coast fandom brewing? And it's like, when we sent him the picture of the fan who showed up with Rico tattooed on his body, I mean, he told us that went around the whole entire company. (laughs) It's like, we we showed that to everybody. I showed that to my grandmother. (laughs) <laughs> it's that's amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the fandom it's it runs deep. that's for sure. We take our uh, fandom very seriously as, yeah. uh, as you can see. Yeah.
2: So as the yeah. weeks go on, you will see us or hear us having the occasional guest on the show that's not just the three of us or a staff member. People who are involved in the film industry, people who are involved in the theater industry, people who have been in movies, people who have made movies, people who love drive-ins. And it'll always be connected with retro film and drive-in in some way. But we've got a good number of people. We've recorded several, actually. This is I was joking with Jeff earlier. This is Celebrity Week as far as recording the podcast goes. Because we're <laughs> yeah. two down, one to go with people I'm talking to this week. And then we've got four or five waiting in the wings to schedule. So we can say we're going to talk to Rob Mack, the president of Filmac which is the company that did the original Let's All Go to the Lobby uh, snack bar yeah. ad and the dancing a, hot dog. Part of
1: the fabric, right? Yeah.
2: Which is amazing. I talked to uh, Stephen R. Bissett, comic artist and film historian who's now appearing on a lot of Blu-rays for like an hour and a half yesterday about his drive-in memories and old film distributors yeah. and stuff like that. Tomorrow I'm talking to Pamela Pierce-Barslow, who's the daughter of Charles B. Pierce, who did The Legend of Boggy Creek. Yes. And a whole bunch of stuff yeah. like that about that movie and its original distribution and the restoration and drive-ins and all that stuff. So we've educated Quigley has agreed to come on. So it's going to be a, a lot of fun and we'll spread these out over the coming weeks or months as it were.
1: Right. Yeah. A lot of fun to look forward to. And like I said, Mark, you're really crushing it with, with truly curating this podcast. And we talked about it before we hit record about, how the podcast really is its taking on a life of its own with the, the arms that are growing from it, the opportunities that we're having to reach out to drive-in owners from the past and present and really try to bring the attention to the, the love of the drive-in. And I think the more that we do that, uh, the bigger and uh, more ears it's going to hit because that's what it's all about. It's all about getting the word out there. If somebody hears about a drive-in they didn't know about, they happen to be driving through town, like Mark said, and now it's on their radar. That's a right. beautiful thing, you know? It's it's all about trying to support really all of our drive-ins. You know who I'd love to talk to is uh, is some of the drive-in owners over in Australia. I see pictures of, I think it's called the Autorama Drive-in. Yeah. It, it, it's just supreme. And I hear the culture is really strong over in
2: Australia and always kind of has been. And that's an area where... As far as I know, seasonally, they don't need to close, which for a lot of our country, I think, aside from Southwest and West Coast, it's mostly a seasonal business for the most part.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Except for down south.
2: Right. And you know know what's crazy? When we talk
1: to um, the CEO of Rico's Nachos, they're in 56 countries. They're in tons of uh, uh, concession lobbies across the world. So who knows? Autorama. They could be running the Rico's nachos at all we know. <laughs> that could be. That could be. But yeah, lots of fun to look forward to. That is for sure. Uh, always great getting together with you guys. Thank you to the fans for submitting your questions. Again, if you guys want to get more involved, Mark, why don't you tell them how they can jump in on the Patreon?
2: It is In. And we have three levels of membership. It is a $4.99, a $9.99, and a $19.99. And each of those give you different levels of benefits and access to original content and perks on the lot and discounts on the lot and things like that. And the top level, the simplex level, gets you a free monthly screening at the Mahoning when we're open on 35, In all likelihood using the prints we've been discussing earlier in the episode today. And occasionally we'll get prints from from Exhumed as well. So we get them from other sources. Those are always mystery movies. You don't know what you're getting until you get there. Um, Those are a really good time. And then we started doing the virtual screenings in the off season, which we may still continue to do. Those all come from AGFA, American Genre Film Archive, their library of licenses and that's once a month on Zoom Virgil and I will do a pre-recorded DJ set like we would as though you're at the theater i put together a digital trailer show and then we run a movie all through Zoom and you can sort of chat along text chat along and those have been those are secret features but they're all licensed by us through agfa and we've had a really good time with those too so it's a heck of yeah. a lot of fun it's a way to keep the fun and feel of the mahoning going even if you're not there like with the right
0: or during the off season, exactly
2: yeah. with the in person simplex shows. If somebody's a Patreon member in California, they're probably not going to make it out on a Thursday night, but with the virtual shows, anybody anywhere can do it from home. So it's a lot of it's fun. a real
1: blast. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's been great because we do have fans who discover us from the documentary and they live in California or they live in Australia. So for yeah. them to be able to to jump in, get involved, and experience a piece of the Mahoning it's been really really great and something that you know has been personally on a personal level keeping me sane as far as being able to connect with our fans and our audience which that's the hardest part of the off season Jeff knows it you know it, Mark we go from ultra social seeing our best buddies every single day and right practically every day and then yep. it just goes to like nobody you know for six so, months yeah. yeah so it's just it's really strange and you would think after doing it for so long it would you get used to it but still i get those off-season blues every I single off season kind of just missing but it. that I've i've talked about
0: this before but that's what it has to be because if yeah. we did it year round like some do down south it just would it it wouldn't have this same texture to it this same flavor if you didn't yeah. miss the people, if you knew you were going to see them year in, year out, every week, every day, it just would blend into the ordinary. But the fact that we have to take six months off because of the weather makes you Jones for it that much more.
1: Yeah, And I think that works on an audience level, too. I mean, we I know people, does, yeah. they really, really are, are waiting those couple months before we start announcing shows and. Once they start seeing it, it's like Groundhog Day, Schmoundhog Day. When I see announcements coming, I know spring is, spring is ahead. So
0: Exactly. And we yeah. are selling tickets for some of our early shows already.
1: Yeah, that's very uh, key to uh, let everybody know. If you're a fan, you want to make the trip out. We've started announcing our April and May calendar. You can find tickets at MahoningDIT.com, like Drive-In Theater. Um, And of course, support us any way that you guys can. Support the drive in any way that you guys can. Wear the love of the drive-in on your sleeve.
0: As you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thank you.
1: All right, this has been great, guys. I think on that note, Jeff, take it away, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: thanks again for coming out tonight to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. We hope you'll come back and see us again real soon. The exit is on the right-hand side of the screen at the front of the field. And most importantly, have a very safe trip home. Good night and God bless you.